Welcome to Meathead Hippie. We have a full episode for you today. So um, I knew it had to be a good one. And it's my friend, Caroline Burkle. Buckle with an R. I don't know why I like saying that. Uh, she is a uh, badass. I think you're going to love her. And it is so in alignment with what we are talking about in the Don't Overthink It Challenge. Comparison, but mostly identity. Who are we without the effort that we put in? And who are we when everything else falls away? And we only see this giant mountain we want to conquer, but then we get to the top of the mountain and we're like, okay, what's next? Come at me. <laughs> you know, and I, I think we all have this cycle. Uh, it sometimes paralyzes us when we see the mountain and it sometimes is this feeling of, I feel a little empty when we see the mountain or when we get to the top of the mountain because we're looking for things in the wrong places. And there's nobody else better to speak about this than Caroline because she is a, a incredible athlete, a former Olympic athlete, won bronze in 2008 in Beijing. She took gold in the 2007 Pan Am Games in the 800 meter freestyle, which is so long. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> um, a two-time NCAA champ. She went to Florida State. Uh, and then she's also, she was named 2008 NCAA, NCAA Swimmer of the Year. So an incredible athlete who has this story of understanding who she is without her athletic achievements. And I just love talking to her. She has great advice for anybody that is type A or anybody that is brand new to this whole health and wellness thing. There's really not anybody that won't benefit from this podcast because it's just real and raw and quite simply a great conversation with a friend. So I'm just so glad that you're here again. Thank you for being another listener of Meathead Hippie Podcast. I just am so honored to be able to do this for my job. I feel so blessed and I hope for many more great conversations to come. If you like it, please tell me, please share. I love when I see you guys posting it on Instagram and tagging me in your stories. Uh, if you have a favorite part or a favorite quote that really resonates with you, be sure to tag me as well as Caroline and all her info is found in the description. So just tap whatever you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher or SoundCloud, and you'll be able to, you'll be able to directly go find Caroline and follow her journey as well. Thank you again and enjoy. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. All right, Caroline Burkle, we are live. Do you go by Carol, Caro, or Caroline? Really all of them. But okay. mainly Caroline and Caro. Caroline, I love that. Carol, Carol, not so much. <laughs> Perfect. Well, welcome to Meathead Hippie Podcast. I feel like you are an absolute Meathead Hippie and also an Enneagram <laughs> 7. And we have been trying to schedule this. And of course, true to 7's fashion, it was last <laughs> minute. And here you are. And I just, in the intro, before we even started talking or recording, I was like, I honestly... The reason I started this podcast is just to have simply good conversations and hopefully everyone listening enjoys it as well. And that's what I'm in desperate need of today. So thanks for being my conversation today. I'm so glad. I'm also in desperate need of it. I've been living in a cave for the past month. So, yeah, so you, you just had a concussion? Yeah, I did. It was honestly, it was horrendous. It was probably the most 
eye-opening experience for the psyche that you could possibly have, you know, and I, you know, it could have been much worse. You could say that about anything, but, um, I was giving blood and fainted and nailed my head on a concrete table, sliced it open, uh, and then hit the floor. So oh. I was unconscious. I hit the floor and then I ricocheted back and hit it again. So I had six, six stitches and two staples in my head. And then I was in the hospital for a day. Oh my but gosh. It, <laughs> and I thought I was fine. So they probably released me too early, but it was, you know, it was a, a long spell of, um, just, you know, and you, obviously you just had a podcast about it. Um, it was a long spell of vertigo, uh, horrible vertigo, like the worst I could possibly imagine. Like, just the waste, most wasted you've ever felt vertigo. <laughs> oh, um, I was so that stoked. lasted like a month. <laughs> I was pretty stoked to see you listening to the podcast I just did with Ben. If you guys didn't listen to that, me and Ben, the concussion expert was, he was just so great. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but I was so impressed by him. Yeah. He was insane. He was great, honestly. And I needed, it came at the perfect time because that was exactly the time that I was entering that like depressive state to where I would have crying spells and my nervous system, it felt like I was running a mile, walking up a set of stairs and, you know, a mile for time like sprinting. <laughs> and I just felt really discouraged. And it was, mm. it was hard to match my emotions with my thoughts. I was like misfiring things, you know, like I would be upset about something that I shouldn't be upset about. And then I wouldn't feel any emotion about something that was actually worth being emotional about, you know? Um, so it was just, I think it was more eye opening to me, especially because I run a business where it's all about mindset and psychology and I couldn't work. Like I couldn't do anything. So it allowed me to recognize that I was basing a lot of my worth on my career and my business building and my ability to show up and crush it every day and create ideas and do all these kinds of things. And I, I just really felt all of that come up and it was things that I would have never imagined would have honestly happened <laughs> just from what I thought was a hit in the head kind of thing. Um, That's a great observation though. And you are an incredible athlete, you know, former Olympian. I did the mm -hmm. full intro to you. So they are well aware of your badassery. And <laughs> I think that's something that I am just curious about just to jump into that. Why, uh, why we so easily can, look for external validation. It's still obviously us. It's an extension of us, whether it's our ability to swim fast or if it's our ability to work mm -hmm. hard. And I catch myself doing this. Our ability for output is so, oh my God, it becomes everything. And I'm curious some ways that you've learned to separate that because that's so hard. I mean, it's the same as somebody trying to obviously change their body weight and feel a certain way because they were able to lose a certain amount of fat or if they did lose weight, now that becomes their identity. Or if they did change their life, now that becomes their identity. And so I guess I would love to know ways that you've helped see value in yourself without your external output. That is exactly what I finally recognize. So to put it plainly, I've spent a decade running from myself. Hmm. And when I retired swimming in 2008, I went, you know, I went through 
about, sorry, 2010, I went, you know, I went through like two years of post Olympic swimming and I did great and everything, but I always knew that I wanted to do more and be more. And I felt like I spent a, I spent a decade running from myself and blaming like abusive situations in my past or, you know, just (laughs) really challenging, uh, um, situations. I I blamed everything that I was going through in that decade on that. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I felt that I was out of control with it. I was just completely victimized. Like I was playing the victim and I just now am realizing that. So essentially I've spent the past year trying to dissect why I was running and, oh, I broke my heel because I was this and, oh, I did this because I was this. And I kept trying to figure out for so long why I was so broken. And like you said, I finally realized that it was because I was looking for this external validation all along um, when I was done that I had always been given as well. And that is a really, really challenging thing and habit to break if you're not aware of it. And so the awareness caused me, you know, to really tap into that. And I think it's, it's a, ongoing process. Um, yeah, it was, it was about week three of this concussion that I recognized I'm not doing anything with my life right now. I'm not doing anything. I'm literally sleeping. Like there was a moment in time where I, I'd left my apartment three times in a week and I was like, I'm sleeping all day. I'm so sick. This is so horrible. I'm doing nothing with my life. And right now, I'm okay with just being like, I'm loved for being me. I'm okay with just being, I don't need to prove myself. Mm. And in that moment, it was like, okay, I'm okay. You know? And I went back and forth with that over and over and over again. Um, But there was, there was indeed a moment where I was just really grateful for just being (laughs) me and for what I have accomplished and what I have learned through those lessons. So yeah, I could like go into that topic forever. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, it's, we all relate to it, whether we're a seven or not. And it's, I think mm-hmm. the, especially sevens, but we don't want anybody. We don't want to sit in something that's uncomfortable, right? So when we mm-hmm. have something uncomfortable, we cope by what's the next thing. And I, I was just talking about this actually in the um, Don't Overthink It program of how when somebody we, we no longer have silence with ourselves and we no longer sit in uncomfortableness because we have our thing called a cell phone. And so you notice mm-hmm. as soon as somebody feels, maybe they get in an argument or they feel a little bit weird or they're waiting in line or they're like not sure what to do with their body or their hands. Instead mm-hmm. of just being, we grab our phone and we start scrolling and it's just mm-hmm. this intuitive like extension of ourselves that allows us to never even just know, like, how do I feel right now? What, what do I feel like? Why am Mm -hmm. I feeling uncomfortable? And, you know, understanding, I think for, so it's just a really brave comment for you to say about how you felt like you victimized yourself. And, um, I mean, that's, I think we all just are so guilty of it. It's like, we are Mm -hmm. this way because of X, Y, Z, and we could live Mm -hmm. that way. Or we could just be like, no, I'm in, I'm in motherfucking charge of my own life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got this. So I just think that's a really good observation from you. And of course it's like always 
work. It is always work to be present. Uh, do you feel, so you're a swimmer once and once a swimmer, always a swimmer. And I'm curious, is that, is movement for you and like swimming for you? Is that so much a part of your life and who you are that it doesn't even put you in the moment or are there things that you do that are always going to put help you be present? Yeah, for sure. Swimming is, swimming is so fluid. It is so present moment oriented and especially the ocean because you really cannot be thinking about anything else because your life is right there, like online in this middle, middle of this gigantic ocean. And there's no, you know, four walls around you. The variables are, you know, all God, you could name 300 variables that can, they can go on. Um, but it's interesting you say that about the movement because it does take me back to the concept of movement is life, but at what point was movement too much of a crutch for me for a long time? Um, so, you know, going back to when I retired and I focus on this so much because I really think that the identity piece for anybody, whether you're going through a transition as an athlete or in a job or as a mother or really a, a job transition, like whatever it is, the more you continue to run and chase, like you can view that as movement, right? Like you can view that as like, oh, just keep moving one foot in front of the other. But at what point does that movement become a crutch to take away from just sitting in your shit and chasing the next thing? Um, so for example, I retired and I immediately went to fashion school, got my degree, chased that degree, immediately got a job from that, immediately worked for another company, immediately chased another degree, went home to therapy for two years because I was super depressed and I didn't know what the hell was occurring. <laughs> um, lived there, chased the next degree, chased the next, like I, I just kept chasing these degrees and these things that I thought that if I just kept moving, I could get somewhere and that somewhere would show me the way and that somewhere would connect myself with my truest self and like with what I'm supposed to be doing and, and that external validation of all these things will show me the way, right? And along that path, I continued to move my body in ways, right? Like I was running marathons and doing Ragnar relays and doing all of these just random, you know, classes, <laughs> all this, you know, like you name it. I did every class possible, like pole dancing for God's sakes. I mean, like literally everything. I was like, I just need to keep doing stuff like, for sure. And I started to associate movement with avoidance of pain. So that movement in turn caused me to step into what I was avoiding. And I ended up, my body ended up manifesting this pain because I was using movement as a tool to cope with pain from my past that I did not know how to sit in. Yeah. And that, you know, kind of circling back to the concussion thing was the thing that I, when I'm not moving and I'm literally sitting on my ass in bed for however many weeks, not moving and recognizing that this is exactly what I used to think my worst nightmare would be is like sitting still just for a split second, sitting still in the grand scheme of things. Like, and were, you, were you like an anti-napper? I literally don't think I took a nap. And I, as a kid, I took naps, but see, this is the funny thing is I'm super independent. Like 
like to do, I know that's a very cliche saying, I like to do things on my own. I'm a true ambivert, I guess you could call it. Like I, I really like to be alone a lot and to do things on my own, but I can extrovert with the best of them when I need to. But yes, I used movement as the wrong kind of medicine. Hmm. It was a coping mechanism. And it, that can be a positive thing if your association is not to avoid. Which it never really is, I think. Honestly, I don't think it mm-hmm. is. That's why no. spin yeah. studios are, they're, yeah. they exist. I mean, I just, I think that that's, we feel like we're accomplishing something, mm-hmm. but it's just an escape. And I, I so agree with that. I mean, I experienced mm-hmm. that with my small bout in crossfitting and competing in it and knowing that that was, it was all this uh, way to not have to deal with shit always. Right. <laughs> and then, and then, I mean, how many things you've had, what, eight concussions or you've had, yeah. yeah how many things? Yeah. And not saying that everything has to happen for a reason. Cause it doesn't, you know, like shit happens. People go through things. Like I'm sure I'm gonna have a thousand more things that happen to me in my life. And I know that those those things will now have a different perspective because I'm learning for the first time I've learned what my body can do movement wise that is more geared toward what I'm stepping into and what I'm working to discover about myself versus what I'm running from, what I'm trying to avoid. I mean, hell, I didn't get a period for 10 years. Wow. I didn't get a period. I was so underweight. I was so sick. And I was eating. I was doing everything I thought was right, but I was so miserable. I wasn't fueling my body with love at all. I was just using this movement and to keep going, going, going as a way to avoid. And it was depleting my body. My body was not accepting anything. It was not accepting love. It was taking everything in its power to keep itself healthy. And that was, that was it, the bare minimum. It was doing exactly what it needed to do to survive. And I was in fight or flight mode. Like I was in survival mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and so that was when you this. were, that was when, cause I want to talk about, let's jump into rise your company working yeah. with mindset with very high, you're a high performer. Um, the clients you work with your, your people, your members, um, are high performers as well. These are Olympic athletes, mm-hmm. right? So they are mm-hmm. just crushing it in certain areas of their life. And I'm curious uh, when anybody, whether they are an Olympic athlete or whether they're just kind of that type A personality and wants to make sure everything is right and we're doing all the right things and we just, mm-hmm. no matter what, we just want to push it. And I think that's so, whether that, that gets translated into sports or not, there's so many people like that. And I'm curious what, what is the missing piece? Like if it is self-love, how you can get somebody to understand taking care of themselves when all they see is that vision. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I catch myself mm-hmm. this all the time. I want so badly to have X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, and I'll take care of myself after, right? Like I'll, I'll love myself after this is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then all of a sudden we're like, shit, we, like it's almost like preventative. So what are some of the struggles you see with yourself or with your people that you work with uh, of understanding, like you can still be a high performer, but in Mm -hmm. a more caring way? That's a great question. And a lot of, so we have Olympians that mentor youth athletes, right? So they, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So they get to 
provide themselves with significance and giving back, which is a huge confidence booster. And they, these youth athletes get the ability to learn from these Olympic athletes and not only learn from them, uh, you know, in their career, but learn about their childhood and how they got there and learn, you know, we train them. So it's like learning, they learn all the sports psychology tactics and tools and tips to provide to these athletes. And what we find is a lot of them come to us knowing that they want to be more, that they want to do more, that they want to give back. And we focus a lot on them being the foundation. So they're their own foundation, right? So like if you're laying the blueprint, if you have the bricks, like they're the foundation, all of their limbs, all of the things that they're doing, the hands that they're out, that they're reaching out to with these athletes, those are their extensions of themselves. And without this, like they can't do this. And so center, what is it? Yes. Yeah. And so like, what is it that they can hone in on within themselves that they feel like they are losing control with? And then we, we start there. So like when I work with some of them on their personal goals or their, their business goals within rise or their goals outside of rise, a lot of it is I just want to make sure that I'm going to be as great as, as I was with this, or that I want to make sure that I make, make a name for myself. You know, it's like, there's always something that they want to do. Right. And so then we talk about like, where are you now? Like what, what's the center? What's the here? And if you get there, like if you get to this place where you do all of a sudden make a difference, have a name for yourself, um, create a brand for yourself, have your own you know, thriving company outside of this or whatever it is, then what? Like, what does that mean to you? And a lot of times people stop in their tracks. It's like, well, then I am going to want more. And so the answer is always, you're going to want more. You're never going to be fully satisfied. Mm-hmm. So once that's seen, I think you can take a step back and break it down, break it down, break it down and realize like that if you're always going to be a go-getter, you're always going to want more and you're always going to want to keep pushing forward. And no matter where you get, you're going to keep wanting more Then what is it that has to be stable in that whole relationship? And it's you, it's your core. It's the ability to lay that foundation, right? Like you can't race, you can't play a game, you can't win the Olympics, win, you know, whatever, the lottery without getting a ticket, right? Like you've got to start somewhere. You have to start with something. You have to create that foundation, before you go anywhere. And so we, we do focus on that and the foundation of themselves as humans first before they do anything else. And it, so. it's humans without the, the result, right? Like without yeah. them, I mean, they're not, they're not a human. That's just a really great Olympic athlete. It's like take out mm-hmm. what happens when you strip that. Uh, was that a really hard transition for you post Olympics? Oh my God. I know you talk about this a lot. Oh. You could touch into. Yeah. Because in some way, everyone has had that kind of experience, right? Like whether it was like mm-hmm. a super, never at that degree, that sm- you know, small percentage that accomplishes that uh, incredible feat, right? Being on the Olympic platforms and like, just it's just incredible. But like, I can mm-hmm. only imagine the pendulum swing the other way because you have yeah. this incredible moment, and then it's like, oh my god, like, fuck. <laughs> I'm curious, yeah. really. I'm sure there was a lot of getting to know 
Caroline moments in those. Oh my God. <laughs> in those years. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So I'm going to first start this part by saying that if you would ask me this eight, six to eight years ago, I would have been like, I mean, yeah, it was really hard. I was super impressed. But like, what, you know, like you do what you can't, right? Like, so you answer these things because you are feeling like that's what you should say, because there really is no way that you could be seen as weak or that you could be seen as somebody that went through a hard time because, oh, you went to the Olympics? Like, you better count your blessings. Like, that shit's cool. And like, you, there's no way you can have a hard time after that. I mean, honestly, why do you think Michael Phelps, and I've known Michael since I was a little girl, like he went through deep depression for a long time and him and the rest of all of us <laughs> went through that same situation because you're too scared to say that you're actually going through it at the beginning because you feel like you should be grateful, quote unquote, and that you should not have this problem and that everybody else in the world would tell you that you need to suck it up. And, and you're so lucky to have this. You're so lucky. Yeah. And that right there is a lack of self-actualization. That's a lack of self-respect. Um, that's a very dangerous place to be in because what you're doing is you're creating a space of also being a victim to something because that's one of the first signs, right? It's like, woe is me, like this passive aggressive, like, but, but I should be really grateful, right? So that's how I'm going to start by saying that I would have said that. And then I started to slowly get into the place of like, you know, it's okay. And that was when we started, I went to grad school, sports psychology, and I started to really understand my journey and connect with other Olympic athletes that were going through the same thing that I was going through. I mean, that's why we started Rise, <laughs> to be honest. Like it, it was this feeling of, we want to make an impact. We want to bring these people to this place where, you know, these 15, 16, 17 year olds know who they are and know that they're damn amazing before they get to the highest level possible. So that they know that they're more than just that. Yeah. And it's not to say they're not getting that already, but we're going to do an extra deal here because you can never have too much support. And there's different pillars to that support. You, know, you got coach, athlete, parent, mentor, trainer, whatever it is. Um, so anyway, tangents because I like tangents. So back to the feeling that I had, I, I'm, I retired. I went through a six month phase of going to Vegas every weekend. <laughs> um, I was a mess, but I didn't admit it. And then in January, I moved from the university of Florida because that's where I went to college. Um, and I was broken. I mean, my heart was broken. My world was broken. I was just like, what just happened? Like I've literally had my head buried since I was 10 or whatever. Yeah. And like, and I had a blast. Don't get me wrong. Like I went to college and like we won in Super A's and like all these kinds of things. And it was fantastic. But I was just like, whoa, who am I outside of this? Um, so I moved out to California and that was a really hard time for me because that was when it was like, I need to prove myself. Like I have to go back to that. And will I ever stand on top of a podium in front of the world ever again. Like how can anything match that? 
and I felt guilty. And I felt like, you know, the mindset of like, there's people like struggling on this planet and I don't have it that bad. And how can I possibly be depressed? And I remember sitting in my car, I was living in San Diego and I called my mom and for anybody that knows my mom, she does not answer the phone. Like my mother never answers the phone. She's just like Jill in her own world, whatever. And she answered the phone and I was like, mom. And I just started bawling and I was like, I'm literally not leaving my room. Like I come home and I turn off the lights and I lay in the dark. I don't even want to be here anymore. Like it was like the darkest things. And I just couldn't believe that I was saying it. And I was just letting it all out. And she was like, what do you want to do? I'll fly out there. You can come home. And I was like, I'm going to come home. I'm going to go to this therapist that we knew that I loved. And I just like had this feeling that I would trust her. I'd even like, I'd never even used her before. And so I moved home got my own place because I refuse to live at home. (laughs) Um, And then went into therapy and it was gnarly. Like I'm talking like on the floor, rolling around crying gnarly for like the first three months of therapy, like bringing my parents in, like we're like, boom, like, like everything like is exploding. And like, you know, my previous relationships that were not healthy and like just everything was just like exploding in front of me. And I'm this 21 year old, 22 year old girl And I was like, I don't know what's occurring. Like I'm literally like losing my mind. And that took two years, but it was tumultuous. And it was this feeling of I'm never going to be at the top of the world again. And I don't know why I'm guilty. I feel like I should have this all figured out. I feel like I have a fantastic life. Why the hell am I bitching? And also I'm hurting. Like I am hurting hard. Like I don't know what a healthy relationship is. I don't know how to, how to love my body. I don't know what my body is supposed to do now. Um, you know, and it, it goes into these like deep places, but I just, I was, it was, it was gnarly. Um, and that's a really long winded way of saying that it was dark (laughs) and, and tumultuous, but the way, like, it's so interesting how, how parallel some of our storylines are. Clearly I did not make the Olympics, <laughs> but there was something that happened when I was on reality TV. That was when I was mm-hmm. 20. Same thing. It was for, it was forced therapy. I would have never gone to therapy. And I think we just tend mm-hmm. to, it makes sense. You're an athlete. So you have this sense of pride that you always will walk with in a beautiful way, but it is, it is the identity, like I even see it as I see it with any athlete, but especially former, like, this is what I think CrossFit really fucked up is like mm-hmm. that it is attracting those people that didn't get the fulfillment out of the sports that they played mm-hmm. in high school or college. Maybe they didn't get that quite full moment of glory that they were looking for. And so then they bring it into another alternative, which is fine, but it's just another thing. So it's, it, it's under, I mean, it's incredible that you were able to do that at that age and strip it bare because you had to start mm-hmm. from scratch. Because I think if you are that dedicated to your sport, it is probably ridiculously hard to have a normal childhood. So it, you yeah, to start from scratch. Yeah. And my parents were so cool. Like they never made us do anything. And that's the yeah. other thing is there was never any sense of like there was never a lack of safety in this. Like there wasn't a threat to like, if you don't swim or there was never that my brother was 
an Olympic swimmer too. He went in 2012 and my littlest brother is amazing. He plays rugby. He's like the, you know, one that's being different and everything. And we, we've had a great and beautiful life. My parents obviously had a really challenging upbringing in life. And so I think that they really gave us perspective on struggles and what that is. And, um, I, what I've learned from this whole process is that I've identified and, you know, for so long, I identified myself as a swimmer, an athlete, somebody that performs, can be, you know, happy, go lucky, um, artistic, fluid. Like I, I believed in, you know, I was very intuitive. I didn't know logic and times and all of it. I was just, I was in the moment for so long that I almost lost myself in that moment. You know, I, I, I almost lost myself completely. And if it weren't for therapy, to be honest, um, I don't think, and let me back up it. I think it was the choice of going to therapy because that empowered me to begin with. Like that was something that I needed to do and not feel shame about. Um, but I think that there's just this feeling of accomplishment and, you know, you see people do these insane feats, right? Like freaking free solo movie or whatever the hell it is. It's like, you know, God, yeah, I mean, unbelievable, insane. unbelievable. Yeah. And one of the most mentally tough. El Capitan. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, that definition of being mentally tough can vary and change, but according to somebody's life and what they believe in. But I also think that you really, and I hate to say this because I don't want everyone to think that it's all negative or anything like that at all. But I do believe that you, that you have a fixed mindset for quite some time. And until you can really understand that growth mindset of, I can perform on a different level. I can be on a different level. And that level is now by definition, whatever I want to make it. Like I don't have to do something according to a standard that's only been there forever. Like I can change that standard now. I can create that. It's not going to be given to me. Right. Um, and maybe it will be, maybe you do choose a path that it is, but for an entrepreneur, it's not like you've got to create your own standard. And that's the scariest part about it is I always knew exactly where I needed to be, what I need to be doing, how I needed to do it. And that did box me in a little. And so then when you don't have that, it's like the world is infinite. Like you can do anything you want. And that's scary as shit. Like, it really is. It's so, the world is your oyster, right? There's like too many yeah. possibilities, but it, yeah. It, yeah. That makes sense. A lot of sense. Uh, Cause you, even when I have athletes come to platform strength, it's like, I'm craving a program. It's all I know. I used to have it. I need it again. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. that's what you're used to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's nice, right. To have that structure. So it's nice to have that foundation and then be able to have extensions of that. Like we were saying, it's like, whether it's a person or an institution or really anything, like if you have your structure there and then you can get creative within it, and create it to be your own, even if it's a group class and the same 
exact movements for everybody, you can create your own meaning within that exact thing. And I think that that's what I'm always speaking about and wanting to make clear to not only my athletes, but my friends and my family and my colleagues and everything like that, that you can create your own meaning within a structure. Like it doesn't have to be a specific thing that you have to do, right? Like you take that leadership and you take that feedback and you understand that structure, but you can create your personal meaning and give meaning to that in a way that's different than Sally Jane next to you or whatever. Yeah. If that makes sense. So which is the most nonconformist, right? The most profound type of leadership is something that somebody might have not seen before because Mm -hmm. that's what sets you always apart. So I, and I think that's awesome with, I really fast when we, you were thinking of like, okay, I'm going from a box to now box as an athlete to open open circle as a, yeah. <laughs> um, what are some ways? So th- we just started the don't overthink it program. So that's kind of just mm-hmm. the theme of everything that I want to help people with, especially in this year. I am, you know, we just, we love boxes. We love structure because it, it mm-hmm. feels safe. It feels like if I have the exact meal plan, like just God damn it, please tell me what to do. <laughs> like I want to know exactly what to do and I'll do it. And I love that, but I also know how unsustainable that can be and how, uh, depending mm-hmm. on the type of personality or tendency, how that can backfire. And so mm-hmm. I would be curious to know for you, what are ways that you help yourself when you get in your own head? that you stop Mm -hmm. overthinking things and you can, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, obviously that's a day-to-day answer depending on what the problem is. Uh, but Mm -hmm. I get stuck in this too, where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. (laughs) I want to do everything. Um, what are ways that you have helped kind of quiet the noise, whether it was on a subconscious or conscious level? This brings me to that conversation that we had texting and it was like our first ever conversation. And it goes back to like, we are taught to get rid of that, get rid of it. Right. So whether it's, you're thinking this, get rid of it. Okay. Get rid of it. That's great. You can get rid of thoughts all you want, but it doesn't happen all macro right away. Like it's smaller let goes, right? Like you, you think something. And then for me personally, I'm very imaginative. So (laughs) I'll think one thing and then I'm like, Oh my God. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and it's like, before I know it, this Mount Everest of all of these overthinking thoughts that I've created, I'm like, what the shit is this? Right? Like, I don't even know what, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea. Not a clue. Like, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I've just spent 15 minutes creating this mountain out of molehill and I have no idea. And so I think it's just chipping away slowly at letting go. So a lot of times I actually do draw that, like I'll draw like a little mountain and I'm like, okay, I thought this and I thought this and I thought this or like a flow chart. Yeah. And then it's like, how can you slice those, right? Like, how can you take off one by one instead of like, I just need to stop thinking this whole thing, right? As a kid growing up, that was what I was, you know, I was heard, I heard that all the time. Just stop thinking about it. It's like, well, God damn it. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, that's hard to do. You can't just stop thinking about it all the time. Like in the heat of the moment, right before a race, if you're staying behind the blocks, the Olympics are, you know, the biggest speaking event of your life and you need to let something go, the whole damn thing, let it go, but don't let it go forever. Like come back to it, then chip away at it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what 
has helped me because you can run from that thought if you just try and let it go macro right away because it will come back until you really start to just have the slow release of letting go. So it's like sitting with it, understanding what mountain you just made of these thoughts or these beliefs, and then one by one, letting it go, like releasing it out into the universe and it's not yours anymore. And if it comes back, think about it again, right? Like what is it that, why is that coming back for me? Why is that showing up for me? And then feeling it and letting it go one by one. Mm. That's really helped me. And it's like that slow burn, right? Like that's why I like burning sage or like, like I like watching it. Like it's like seeing like a little bit go at a time. It's not like stamping it out. Like you're like, ah. I absolutely (laughs) love it. I love it so much. I'm going to call it Carol's, Caroline's little (laughs) let go's. That should be like a little mantra book you make because it's true. It's when we were texting back and forth, it was like, I expect so much from my clients to see micro because macro is unsustainable, right? Macro goals, micro goals. You can't just all of a sudden lose the weight. You can't just all of a sudden be the fittest person in the in the room. And it's it's so funny how we assume, assume anything in life is different. Like really business, uh, personality, spirituality, and even physicality, I guess your own human body, it all is the same. So thinking of it as a workout program in a, Mm -hmm. in a similar sense, like you don't just show up to the gym and you're exactly where you want to be. And so that, that was really awesome when we were texting it. I was like, yeah, that does make sense. Like, why are we so hard on ourselves? You know, Mm -hmm. that's ultimately what it is. We just always want to get to the final product. And I don't know if that's just a product of, if that's just human, if it's extra, extra the way that way because of our culture or if it's just mm-hmm. we kind of because some of us are more like that than others you know we're a little bit more ready for that final step we're not quite as like naturally yeah I'll just casually get that, <laughs> that goal it's like no I'm gonna fucking do it I mean, that's my goal. so I just yeah I think that was just a really great analogy and visual for people because I know so many people overthink things yeah. And it's, you know, it can be done physically too. Um, one thing I really like is progressive muscle relaxation. So sometimes I'll lay on my floor and just do the whole scan head to toe and like tighten your eyes and your nose and your mouth and your ears and your shoulders and just all the way down. So it's like tighten and release, tighten and release. And that's again, small let goes where writing down all the things on a piece of paper. And this is what we do with our athletes. You know, they're teenagers, but it helps for us too. Sometimes thinking childlike is the most simple thing, you know, the simplest thing, but just tearing it up. And with each tear of that paper of all the things you want to let go, you literally say that, or like think of the thing that you're letting go of because the, you know, kinesthetically, like when you are doing something with your body, especially as athletes, you really relate to that feeling of letting go and that feeling physically can manifest itself mentally and obviously vice versa, right? Like Mm. feelings mentally can manifest themselves physically, both positively and negatively. So that's something that I try and do a lot of, um, especially when I'm feeling really out of control. Like really, I just, I'm like lay on the floor, like just lay on the floor five freaking minutes. Like, you know, and I, I'm like the first to admit when I'm just, you know, like overthinking the shit out of everything. Like I do it all the time. Yeah. I'm the most imperfect human on the planet. So I think that that is 
that's a really helpful tool I love as well. That. I think that's great. I'm going to try that. The lay on the floor and mm. I don't know. It helps you fall asleep at night if oh, you need it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's like really guided good. meditation, but for your body mm. and not just your mind. <laughs> Which is, I think, so connected that it could be helpful for mm-hmm. somebody that struggles with meditation, right? Mm-hmm. To feel like I'm not just laying here and thinking about not thinking. <laughs> right. And, you know, and thinking about the food thing too, that you were saying about the nutrition program, like obviously you have a nutrition degree. You think about these things all the time, probably way more than I do. But if somebody's like, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to take out all junk food. It's like, okay, for sure. But maybe a slow release is better. <laughs> like maybe cutting it down, you know, like right at the beginning of a drastic change. hmm you're going to have lasting change if that progression is a little bit more deliberate and you're practicing that versus trying to just get to that top of the mountain. Because when you get to the top of the mountain, no matter what it is, you're always going to look back, right? Like you're always going to look back. And I would hope that you would be able to look back at whatever you're looking back at and understand the process there and understand the small steps that you did to get to that to that peak instead of like, Oh, I just like really like, I don't even know. I just like wanted to crush everything. That's great for sure. But I think it's also really cool to think about the process and the things that you did, the small wins, like the small things that you did to get there. That's really what I'm focusing on that I have just loved. I think it was a part of, you know, end of the year, birthday, turning 30. There's just like the gym opening. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things that happened in the last four months where I was like, if you don't slow the fuck down and turn around and like celebrate this, you will, Mm. will just fall apart because there's no, there's no longer anything holding you together. You're just doing, you're just a machine. You are no longer a human, which is what I started to feel like. So that was something so cool for me. And I also think you will appreciate this. So I got my Vedic astrology read about six years ago, which is so crazy, (laughs) which happened to be when I started my business and I was in Saturn. And my mm. um, rising was in Saturn in January 18th. It's going to go into Venus, which mm. is like this huge pivot, apparently this pivotal shift that my lady from Tibet imports told me January 18th. So I'm like, what is going to happen on January <laughs> And Bradford, every time I'm really calm and like, you know, it's okay. I can shut my laptop. I'm good. I feel really proud today. And he's like, is it January 18th yet? (laughs) So I'm curious if it is sometimes just, you know, it could be so, yes, it's sometimes intentional and yes, it's sometimes who we are uh, and we could work on it. But I I do think there's so much to our personality that we are out of control in. And that's what helps is if you understand a little bit more, that's why that hippie stuff is so fun to like dig into because you, you can answer questions that you just have like you said in the beginning, like you almost victimize yourself. Well, I just say I'm this way because I'm a Sagittarius Capricorn cusp. Like, <laughs> or, or is it just because it is what it is? You can recognize it and then you can do something about it from a place of uh, curiosity versus just like, it is what it is. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but. Oh, it totally may. I follow you entirely. And the whole time that you were just talking, I was thinking, you know, as obviously I'm watching, I'm looking at you and I see your excitement and your animation of, of your body and like how excited you get. Right. And that's, that's a big thing because you're accepting, like you're open. And I think that 
obviously no one can see that that's listening, but <laughs> there's a big difference, right? Like you can tell the difference in feeling open to something with your body and feeling closed and, and noticing that too, obviously astrology does tap into the mind body and it taps into both. So maybe that's something to pay attention to as January 18th. <laughs> it's like, what is I'm my so body excited. open for? Yeah. It's especially Venus, dude. Yeah. <laughs> What's about to happen? I don't even know. Uh, like, I mean, as if women movement isn't already crushing life right now. Like, <laughs> we're going to get even bigger. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I agree completely. So celebrating the small things mm-hmm. and really seeing the process and writing that process so that in some, in some way for many people, they don't get interviewed. They just keep Mm. going. And I think that's been really cool is when you get interviewed or when other people are curious and you ask questions, um, you understand, you find out more about yourself than any other means. And I think Mm -hmm. if you haven't been interviewed, if you're listening, I challenge you to find somebody to just be genuinely curious about your life and give yourself a platform, even if it's one person to explain it because it's so cool. It really helps open you up in a way of like, wow, I have come really far in some way, whether it was physically or whether it was just emotionally. I think that's a, yeah. that's been really cool. Interviews are just my absolute favorite. I'm really glad you said that just now because I think that's a positive thing to circle around to is your life is your message. and a lot of times our culture, I just had this conversation with my friend, Melanie, our culture is very caught up in like, what, what's my message? What do I need to deliver? What's the content I need to deliver? What's the specific thing I need to put out there? And again, the foundation, the core, the center is you, like you are here on this planet. That's enough of a message at first. Like, so accepting that and being open to that and knowing that, you know, your life is worth it before you feel that you need to deliver a specific message. And I think there's nothing better than being interviewed. (laughs) Like every podcast I've done, I've learned so much about myself just because I'm learning myself and speaking about my life is my message. And that is something that's beautiful for other people to listen to if they want to and not if they don't. And I think that's more of a realization for me about myself than it is for anything. So. I agree with you. <laughs> and no, and anyone listening, like they're thinking poorly about themselves because like, well, I wouldn't have anything exciting to talk about. There is always something, you know, that's just always mm-hmm. in our own head about the comparison and feeling good about ourselves. It's, it's the only reason we don't feel good about ourselves is because we have ego involved. And, yeah. and we, if it wasn't involved, we would all be confident human beings. And so realizing you can get that ego to silence and you can express yourself more and more. It's just a work. It's just such a work. Do you have, uh, do you have things that somebody that, whether it was a stage of like, I'm having a hard time getting motivated, uh, for advice for somebody that's like, okay, I have motivation right now, but what if that motivation goes out? Mm. I'm, I don't trust myself to stick with something. Mm. My first thing that I would want to ask them is when, when's a time that you have, like, what's a time in your life that you've been motivated and done something and been really pleased about it. And so starting with that really helps you recognize, okay, well, maybe it was, um, I 
had a baby and I wanted to work on gaining strength and showing my child that movement is life and, you know, being able to really hone in on that. So maybe the reason was to show my child movement's life and to feel my body and to go through those, you know, progressions and that, that transition. And if you're an athlete, I wanted to transition from sport and I felt really good when I got this job and it was great. And I got to be a leader and I led a team and we led hikes all over Spain or, you know, whatever it is, like, what is something that you did and chose to do and stuck with? Mm. And nine times out of 10, it's because you had community. And so I think that that's what I always want to stress or say to my friends or to anyone is who are the people that you can trust that can hold you accountable, but also share their experiences with you and you can share with them. Because I think that I firmly believe that's a beautiful thing to do, even if it's your teddy bear or your mom or your dog, (laughs) like it doesn't matter. Like who can you share that with? Um, I think far too often we think we can do everything without sharing and it's a beautiful thing to accomplish things. So I would start with asking them what has worked and how did you get there? Um, And it's hard sometimes to think about things that have worked. Maybe sometimes you don't, you're like, I don't, I can't think of anything that's worked. And the act of actually having to dig into that is half the battle because then you do realize that something has at some point so that there is hope. I love that because it's, it helps people understand what their, what their purpose really is. If they have values, if they can start to put that roadmap of who I am, who that center is, like you talked Mm -hmm. about, that really all ties into it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Um, the last thing I have a, a question for uh, is trying to, I think for anybody that um, is, okay, we're, we're on a mission, we're motivated, we're ready to go. I think mm-hmm. anything that helps you in day-to-day life, whether it's for business or not, do you have any final, mm-hmm. like, we are, you know, you're a former fucking Olympic athlete. You know, (laughs) you're driven, you're going, you are building your own business. You are going for anybody else that's listening. That's having that same, I am motivated. I'm ready. Here we go. You know, the kind of like the opposite pendulum as far as enjoying the, enjoying the process, enjoying the journey Mm -hmm. a little bit more and not looking so much at that mountain. Mm -hmm. Oh, million dollar question, right? I would honestly say to start every single moment that you have, every single day, every single um, event, every single celebration, to start every single one with minimal expectations. Um, And by that, I mean you're always going to have them. You're going to want stuff. You're going to want to be great. You're going to want to win this. And, you know, I wanted to go to the Olympics since I was 10. It was there. But the more that I expected they should, the more I set myself up for not being present Mm -hmm. in that moment. And that's not to say that visualization isn't helpful. The visualization happens in the present. 
It's something that you're doing in the present moment about what you want. And I think that I so often set myself up for, it has to go this way. And if it doesn't go this way, then blank. And then you create that story. And then that story creates the next mountain. And then that story creates the next mountain. So I think if you can go into something knowing that I'm going to be right here, right now, do the very best that I can with the skills that I've already built up to this point, knowing what the end goal is, but knowing that I don't know the result of this exact thing yet. I need to be motivated off of what I know I'm capable of doing and not just the result that I think should happen. Mm. That's my biggest piece of advice. I think that that can be taken by people as actually (laughs) if that's taken by anybody as, Oh, well, if you don't want something to happen, then how are you ever going to get it? Then I think that person really needs to dive into a couple of other things about themselves as far as far as what they actually want. Hmm. Are you, what's the reason you're doing it? Is it to win? Is it to make a million dollars? Is it to, and that's great. But then break it down, break it down, break it down. What's the real reason you're doing it? Like what inside of you is driving you to do that? Because the expectation, you're always going to be great, but the more that you place this pressure on the shoulds and the have tos and the musts, it just becomes, you do it for a different reason. So that's beautiful. I can relate to this so strongly. It's so true when you were like, for example, when I launched the Kickstarter, I was like, yeah, I mean, of course I want it and I'm going to be shocked if I, I get it but then you hit the number that you're supposed to get so it's funded and then it's like Mm -hmm. all right I'm I should have done that I would have been disappointed had that not happened because Mm -hmm. in my head before I even hit let's go it was like I have such expectations of this having to happen that it was Mm -hmm. hard it was like one moment one really beautiful moment of celebration and that was it for the rest of the 30 days it was like how can I be how can I get more? How can I make sure that yeah. more people, how can I be even more successful? And re- that was so eye opening for me because it was the first time outside of fitness that I saw that everything is the same when you expect mm-hmm. that and you work hard for it and you get it, it feels just as empty as when you started. And if you <laughs> not have that, that, that kind of expectation set aside and you're just saying, mm-hmm. Oh, let's see what happens. I do. And I just, I think that's so it's of course the little let goes, but that's such a little thing for me to really understand. It's like, nope, it's going to be cool. Everything, it will play out exactly how it should. And yeah, if I I don't have that uh, mentality, it's so true. You don't even remember what you feel like in that moment because you're not in the moment. Right. And it's again, that meaning, like if you can really understand what the meaning and the why and and how you can attach that your own meaning to that situation like we talked about earlier and if that meaning gets out of control and it doesn't make sense and it's too pressured and it it's about the wrong things then you slowly let go of what those are because that's when the overthinking happens is when you make it about the wrong thing and you start to spiral into story about the wrong thing. So it does kind of go in a circle and, and back and forth and all over the place if, if you let it. Oh, 
This has been so good. Thank you, <laughs> Caroline. I um, really, my, I guess my final question, even though I said I had a final question, I know <laughs> you're some sort of ocean animal, but what is your, what is your spirit animal? Oh my gosh, this is so good. You know, I always say a monkey. Oh, <laughs> You're a land animal. Oh my I know. god! I, I know. That. Or you're just a mermaid, but that's an animal. It can technically be an animal because it's mammal and fish. So. That is very true. I don't have mermaid in my book, but um, I was so mermaid that monkey. <laughs> yes, just the little monkey, like the emoji one with the tail. You know. Yeah, my this is my the hands the hands of yeah. her eyes is my favorite. Yeah, it's it's so true. I'm a very I'm a shy person. I'm actually a shy person. So that one does really? fit. <laughs> I am. I'm shy in a good way. Like I'm shy um, at first with things that are meaningful to me because I know that it's like, I feel, I feel really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. It takes me a lot to understand that that feeling doesn't have to be <laughs> exactly what I'm you know, going to be thinking or doing. And so I feel really hard. And because I feel really hard, I get shy. And so during that shy moment is when I do the little let goes. Cause I'm like, okay, what is like occurring in my head right now? Um, um yeah. So that little monkey is it. perfect. <laughs> Yay. Okay. I'll screenshot the monkey animal and text it to you. Um, perfect. So I know people can find you on Instagram at mm-hmm. Caro, C-A-R-O, Burkle, buckle yes an r uh but i do where else would you like people to go and see more about what you do yeah so i'm simple i just do instagram i'm not as active on facebook but i do have a page and a personal account caroline silver burkle for both i think and then um rise athletes rise-athletes.com is our website for rise and instagram is rise athletes and then I also dabble in design and product development stuff. So I have Carol Coco, which is natural Kalina, and that's my little body product. And then I just do art for shits and giggles because it's therapy for me. <laughs> but uh, I have a little Carol Sketches account, which is just because I don't know why I just added it. <laughs> because, because I like palm trees and stuff. So <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so that's all simple. I don't do Twitter. Sorry, guys. It's just like not my jam, but we know it's okay. Twitter, it depends. Maybe someday. I yeah, I do it for like live events. Like I should be doing it right now with Donald Trump's speech. But for oh, the most right. part, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you better go do it. <laughs> um, thank you so much again. Thank you. I- Loved having you on the podcast. I know everyone else is a blast as well. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening. I will see you next week.